they went with James and John to the home of Simon and Andrew. Simon's mother-in-law was in bed with a fever, and they immediately told Jesus about her. So he went to her, took her hand, and helped her up. The fever left her, and she began to wait on them. That evening after sunset, the people brought to Jesus all the sick and demon-possessed. The whole town gathered at the door, and Jesus healed many who had various diseases. He also drove out many demons, but he would not let the demons speak because they knew who he was. Very early in the morning, while it was still dark, Jesus got up, left the house, and went off to a solitary place where he prayed. Simon and his companions went to look for him, and when they found him, they exclaimed, Everyone's looking for you. Jesus replied, Let us go somewhere else, to the nearby villages, so I can preach there also. This is why I have come. So he traveled throughout Galilee, preaching in their synagogues and driving out demons. This is the word of the Lord. So let's pray. Lord God, we thank you for your word to us. And Lord, I thank you for the, the gift of the season of Lent, a time of returning. And Lord, we pray as we come to your word tonight, Lord, that our hearts would turn to you. And our hearts returned to, to love all those who you are calling us to serve. In Jesus' name, amen. Ten years ago, I first explored the possibility of coming to Liverpool. And at the time, I felt like I was in a bit of a desert. Not a literal desert, because we were living in West Wales, where it rains a lot. And in fact, the place we lived was a little village called Abergwilly. And this village really was one big long street. And at either end of the street was a floodgate, because it rained a lot. And there were two rivers that flowed into the village. There was the Towie, which was the big river that was, um, the, the, va the valley was named after, and then a smaller river called the Gwilly. But when the two of them met, they would cause all of the surrounding countryside to flood quite regularly. I'd always thought that I would stay in Wales. I thought that was where I would see out my days. And there were many people who'd been very generous to us as a family, a great blessing to us. But we started to discern that maybe God was calling us to go somewhere new. And so we were in a time of waiting, a time of patience, a time of searching. And it was an uncomfortable time, a desert place time, as our lives seemed as if they were on pause waiting for God. And so it was a place of dependence. And then very suddenly our situation changed when I met a man called Ricky Panther. Some of you might remember Ricky. And he invited me to come to Liverpool and to look at some of the opportunities that were available in the diocese. And it led to spending nearly the next 10 years in Wigan. And I've got to tell you, Wigan was worth the wait. It was fantastic, and we loved it. 
The way that Mark uses pace in his gospel is really interesting. Mark is known for being very fast-paced, flowing from one scene to the next, often punctuated with the word immediately. Immediately this, immediately that, immediately that. And then occasionally we get these moments of contrast where Jesus seems to be completely unaffected by the hurry of the world around him. And he pauses. I know that you've been in a time of waiting here at St. Andrew's. Ever since James announced that he was moving on to something different and you knew that you'd have to begin the search for a new vicar, you've been waiting. And for some of you, this will have been a really fruitful time. And for others, it may have been a frustrating time. But with God, it's never, ever a wasted time. And I sense that as we go forward together, it's really important to recognize the significance of the desert place. Now, our, our passage in Mark's gospel begins with Mark's customary haste, as soon as they left the synagogue. And the word that's used there, actually, in the original Greek that Mark's writing in, is the word that often gets translated as immediately. And in fact, three times in the passage that we read is this word that gets translated immediately. But our, our English translations, they obscure the, the repetition that's there. But still, as you heard it read, you probably noticed there was this sense of pace, of all these things happening and all these things going on. In the ancient world, a fever was an urgent concern. The rabbis regarded a fever as a heavenly fire only God can put out. Now today, if someone gets a fever, we reach for paracetamol. And any parent knows the miracle of cowpaw. <laughs> Praise God for cowpaw. Now, what we've got to recognize is that in healing Simon's mother-in-law, Jesus extinguishes what no one else could. And so he's pointing towards his divinity. But what I love about Mark's gospel is Mark also presents to us Jesus' humanity. Mark records Jesus' sorrow and his disappointment, his anger and his amazement, and even his fatigue. Because Jesus is fully God, and Jesus is fully human. And so, contrasted against this kind of frantic activity of healings and deliverance and crowds pressing at the door, we get a window into Jesus' life of prayer. Verse 35. In the morning, while it was still very dark, he got up and went out to a deserted place. And there he prayed. Jesus' ministry began in the desert. And we're going to think a little bit more about that on Sunday. And after his baptism, Mark records, and the Spirit immediately drove him out into the wilderness. Now, much of the activity in the Gospels takes place in people's homes. But this short description of Jesus returning to the desert place here in Mark 1, I think it's so important for our understanding of what it means to be a disciple of Christ. The early church met in homes. The early church faced persecution. Sometimes it was safe enough for them to meet outdoors as well. But then 
In the fourth century, when the Roman emperor Constantine was converted, everything changed. That was the time when the great basilicas of the empire were built, often adapted from pagan temples in the heart of the great cities. And so in this time of, of great cultural shift, Christians rediscovered the desert as a place of spiritual renewal. Because as persecution ended, the church became comfortable and complacent. And so the desert became the place to escape nominalism and to encounter God. Now, that is not to say that the mystery of God is not to be found in the growth of the established church of Christendom, in these fine buildings where um, great power was being displayed. But rather that against this backdrop, many rediscovered the importance of the desert place. And I wonder if that's a season that we're in as well. For centuries, the, the Church of England has been at the heart of society. And although it's still recognized as the established church, it's fast becoming for many just a memory in our collective culture. Also at this time, we recognize that there are other challenges. The cost of living crisis, the challenges to the infrastructure of our country, they can make it feel like nationally we're in a desert place. Certainty and comfort have been stripped away. But I think this is a time of opportunity for the church, a time to return, a time to rediscover our true identity and our purpose. But the desert is also a place of temptation. And we're going to think about that on Sunday as well. Jesus was presented three times by the devil with the opportunity to receive glory without suffering or without cost. But Jesus knew that the way of the cross was the path to glory. I think in this time of uncertainty, we can be tempted to give way to fear and to suspicion. Social media has made connection instantly accessible. But it's also meant that comparison and criticism can be easily shared. People can be cancelled, they can be torn apart, words can be twisted, misunderstood. And so rather than serving others, we can be tempted in this kind of time of cultural desert to pursue self-preservation. As I applied to come here, a verse that, that God placed on my heart was from Proverbs 24, verse 27. Prepare your work outside. Get everything ready for you in the field. And after that, build your house. I, and I think probably all of us here, would love to see the church rebuilt after the challenges of the last three years. But what does it look like for us to first make the field ready? Well, the wisdom of the proverb is that we must produce before we consume. And it's only once the field is prepared and the seed is growing in the ground that it's time to build the house. And I think that to get everything ready in the field 
means to generously offer ourselves to God for the sake of our neighbors. Jesus came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. The desert place is a place of prayer, a place of dependence, a place of spiritual renewal. And I believe that as we encounter the overflowing generosity of God in the desert, our lives will overflow with generosity in the service of others. And so the desert place isn't a retreat from the world, but for the world. It's a a new monasticism, lives that are sustained by prayer and lived in the service of others. Church crumbles around us. I think we've got the opportunity to return to God, the God who makes streams flow in the desert. If I wind the clock back 10 years ago and six months before that, before I came to meet Ricky Panther, before I explored coming to Wigan, God gave us as a family a promise. It was at the weekend of our friend's 30th birthday, the friend who I asked to do the Bible reading on Sunday. And um, she's the sort of person who lives her life generously in the service of others. She traveled from Aberystwyth on Sunday, and before she set off, she baked for us because she couldn't arrive without bringing us some cake. That's the sort of person that she is. And she would never ever dream of inconveniencing anyone. And so for her 30th birthday, she wouldn't have wanted to put anybody out. And so secretly, we invited all the people that she would love to spend her time with, but she wouldn't have dreamt of asking. Those who lived far away, that she wouldn't want to travel. And so we had people come from Northern Ireland and um, from Nottingham and the Northeast and all sorts of different parts of the country to come and celebrate her birthday. And it was a surprise. She didn't know it was going to happen. And it took place in our vicarage, which was huge, ridiculously big. And we, uh, we got a bouncy castle for in the garden and we did a big afternoon tea. And then in the evening we had a meal around our kitchen table. And our kitchen was 30 foot long. Um, And we had this massive meal. And um, afterwards, people went and slept in various corners of the vicarage and in in corridors and all sorts of places. We had all these people in the house. And the next morning, we went to church. And I realized they were all coming to my church. (laughs) And they doubled the congregation. And I hadn't really thought about that until we arrived and we got there and there's all these people. And one of the readings that Sunday was from Isaiah 35. And um, I don't know what was going on, but during the service, I was overwhelmed by God's presence. Um, And I was glad that it was a, a traditional church that had a pulpit. And so I was sat in my seat, but I was hidden by the pulpit and nobody could see that I I was getting a bit emotional. Um, And I thought nothing more of that until a week later when a card arrived from our friend. And I've got a photo of it, and I'll read it to you. There's lots of stuff in the card, so I'll try to jump to the bit that you need to know. Uh, The weekend before, when I was driving, 
Um, I was praying for you too, and God said your home would be like a place where streams of water would flow. For you, the girls, and then outwards to the parched places. At the time, I asked God for confirmation that I was hearing him right and that I should tell you. And then I forgot. Until the readings on Sunday, when we were at yours, do you remember the first one, Isaiah 35? As it was read, I was hit with the sense that it had familiar, and then God nudged me. This is just what I'd prayed for you the previous weekend, and now it has been spoken over us at your church. The bit that particularly struck me was verses 6 to 7. Water will... Sorry. The burning sand will become a pool of the thirsty ground, bubbling springs. She goes on. I don't have a clue what or how God's saying that will look like, or even when. But I feel strongly enough that this is God. There's a bit more. It's all nice stuff. And um, God took us to Wigan. And it was our home. And we saw God do some great stuff. It was a place of God's overflowing generosity. And when we, when we came to leave Wigan, just considering it was really difficult, but I knew that I had to come here. And um, the day of the interview, I pulled up and I parked just down the street. And um, I was early, because everyone in Wigan is early, and I've been there long enough now that I, I arrive early for stuff all the time. Um, I thought, what do I do? Because I can't go in yet, I'm too early. So I pulled out my phone and I looked. And I thought, what should I read? And I read Isaiah 35. And I forgot all about it. Um, I forgot that I did that. So I got out of the car and um, Wendy was waiting at the door. And we went on a tour of the parish and we walked around. And I came back and I came in and I did the interview. And it was all going slightly strangely, if I'm honest. <laughs> but there we go. None of the questions I was expecting, all the things that I'd prepared for, none of that came up. Um, and then the most bizarre question I've ever been asked, I've never been asked this in an interview, it was, is there a Bible passage that's important to you? And I knew if I had to talk about the passage, I'd get emotional. I couldn't do it. Um, and I just became a blubbering wreck. I thought, well, I've blown it now. And I, and I left... And um, I thought, well, if they offer me the job, they're either desperate or God's in it. And you don't need to answer which one of the two it is yet. You can make your mind up. And um, it was a few days later I realized, I remembered that I'd read the passage before. I'd forgotten I'd read it. And I just sense that God is making a way in the desert. Yeah. I don't know what that looks like for you, but I believe it. I believe it. The burning sand will become a pool, the thirsty ground, bubbling springs. I know that God has done amazing things in and through this church. This has been a place that in the rest of the diocese we've looked to and we said, praise God for, 
what's happening at St. Andrews. And I know that God is going to do amazing things again. So may we be willing to offer ourselves. Offer ourselves to the God of generosity. May we offer ourselves generously. Amen. I'm just going to give us a moment just of, of quiet before we have a time of response. Just to invite God to speak to our hearts. Ash Wednesday and the beginning of Lent is an opportunity to return to God. It's a season of repentance, of turning around, of thinking again, renewing our minds. This verse from Isaiah is a verse I love. It speaks of God's invitation to us. Come now, let us reason together, says the Lord. Though your sins are like scarlet, they shall be as white as snow. Though they are red like crimson, they shall become like wool. It's going to have a moment of stillness, a moment of quietness. Maybe within your heart, it's a time of bringing before God maybe your disappointment or your frustration maybe your failures the times when you know you haven't loved the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul with all your mind and with all your strength or your neighbour as yourself maybe sometimes we fail to love ourselves and we bring that before God as a symbol of returning to the Lord. For some, it can be helpful on Ash Wednesday to make the sign of the cross in, in ashes on the forehead. And uh, I'm going to give you the opportunity, if that's something you'd like to do, to, to receive that now. I invite Sefa to come and um, just to play gently uh, for us. And if you'd like to come forward and to receive um, ashes then you can do that. I invite you to receive the ashes as a sign of the spirit of penitence with which we will walk together through this season of Lent. Remember that you are dust, and to dust you shall return. Turn away from sin and be faithful to Christ. Yes.